This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hey there, and welcome to the Pioneer Agronomy Northeast podcast. We are on episode 49. This is the week of September 20th. I am Chris Hughes. With me, as always, is Emily Alligar. We are your hosts. Our topic today is the 2021 Harvest Update. Emily, who are our guests? Thanks, Chris. Today, we have some familiar voices with us. We have Jonathan Rotz, Pioneer Field Agronomist here in Pennsylvania, and we have Ryan Permelia, one of our Pioneer Field Agronomists um, working over in the Delmarva area. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, today, we are going to jump right in to some of our topics here. So um, before we get started, Chris, I think we have a good odd and unexplained to go over. We do. Before we get to our main topic, we always like to talk about a topic we call the odd and unexplained, where one of our agronomists tells us about something they've seen recently in the field that might be rare or different or something to really think about as you're going into the next year. Jonathan, do you have something like that? Yeah, sure do, Chris. So I don't know if this is so odd and unexplained, but it's just, just been a topic that I've been chatting with a lot of guys about this year. And just this idea of, you know, how the Rockstar hybrid is still decent this year, but maybe another one topped it out. And maybe it was one that we didn't really think about. And this idea of hybrids, you know, swapping spots year to year. Um, and it's just really interesting. I mean, we work for a genetics company. So maybe sometimes the things that we take for granted, others, others are pondering a little bit. But, you know, every one of these hybrids is a unique genetic package and they have strengths and weaknesses. And the interesting part about that is, you know, every year is very different. We all know that in agriculture and certain years will play to certain strengths and certain years will, you know, play either towards or away from certain weaknesses. So it's just really interesting to me. Um, you know, this is the time of year I get really excited because we start to see those differences really show up in, in our yield data and, and all the different stuff that we're pulling off. Um, but it's also a really great reminder to producers of not throwing all your eggs in one basket. We talk about that a lot, whether it be planting dates or, or other things. And the same thing is true of hybrids. Um, I have a, a, a really good producer that always likes to, you know, push on me and say, well, why wouldn't I just plant all of your best hybrid? You know, just give me one hybrid. I'll just plant that. That's where I need to go. And it just comes back to this idea that every single year is different. So having a really good uh, package that, you know, we can put together for you to spread those risks uh, the, and spread, in a sense, those strengths and those weaknesses over multiple genetic platforms is a really good thing. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, Jonathan. You're right. Every year is different. You never know what Mother Nature is going to bring. So putting all your eggs in one basket and having one CRM so that it's the plants are all going to pollinate at the same time, you know, go through each grain fill at the same time. That's really not a good idea because you could either be a hero or a zero with it. You know, you could hit it great with everything you have, or you could hit it horrible and that be devastating. So diversifying your CRMs is, is definitely, definitely a good idea. Great share. Thanks. So now... Go ahead. Sorry. No, I just wanted to touch on that. I think that that was a really good point to bring up because I was at a grower um, meeting last night um, for this fall and we were having conversations about that, about how certain years, I mean, obviously every year is different, but you see different things out of certain hybrids. So last year with it being really dry, we saw some hybrids that handled it 
a lot better than than what we thought they could or what we knew they could. Um, but then you come into a little bit wetter of a year and you might have a different outcome. So good point, Chris, with um, hero or a zero and trying to spread that out there. Yeah, and I think we, you know, we spend a lot of time testing new hybrids and bringing them out of research. And I think one of the overarching things that, you know, sales reps and customers and agronomists and territory managers all appreciate is consistency. So when you do find those, you know, three, four hybrids that fit your region really well or are consistent year to year, even when the weather or the growing conditions aren't, those are the hybrids that really stick around and, and tend to thrive. So consistency is key. That is, that is sure. That is definitely what our growers want um, from our hybrids year after year. So great points, everybody. All right, so now we're going to move on to the 2021 harvest update. Um, so let's start with with one that that happens first, that corn silage. Uh, Jonathan, how's how's corn silage harvest doing for you right now? Yeah, so overall we're rolling really well. Um, you know, I forget when the last time we chatted, but we talked chatted a lot about corn silage. We were just getting started, and it's it's full on. Um, say the biggest concern on the corn silage is, you know, after we had Hurricane Ida come up through, we really saw some leaf diseases and we continue to see some stalk rots and some other things that, um, again, on that earlier episode, we talked about how it seemed like moisture was just hanging. That is no longer the case. So now we start to chase moistures and guys are hitting it really hard, trying to make sure they have as much moisture as possible in that crop, getting it off in a timely fashion. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely were, we're moving through it really well. I would see, you know, for the, for the most part here in the next week, pretty well getting wrapped up. Um, but, uh, overall yields across the board have been, uh, I would say above expectations. So we have some places that are really good. And even in the places where we've had some significant stress, uh, the yields are coming off much better, but, over my whole territory, I would say it's at least average, if not an above average year on silage harvest yields. That's good, considering the weather that you had, you know, to be at average or above is a great thing. Absolutely, yeah, it comes back to the consistency we were just talking about. To touch on Jonathan's point, um, you know, I think the, the northern part of my territory that I cover might be a little bit further ahead um, than what Jonathan is. One of the things that we've started to see um, is some ear molds develop. Um, and I think mainly that's driven by some of the tip back that we see and you tend to have an open husk at the top. And, you know, Jonathan mentioned we've had some, some moisture later this summer. So growers should really pay attention to if they are seeing ear molds, what ear molds they are. Because um, some of those do carry the risk of some mycotoxins, especially, you know, if you're feeding them to, you know, especially, you know, we worry about cows, right? But even if you're doing anything else other than that, but um, knowing what ear mold you have, and then how to manage it from there, because there's some steps you can take as far as getting it packed away in a timely and efficient manager and, and minimizing some of the risk you might have. Um, and if you if you have a concern about an ear mold or, or about something that you're seeing, especially um, you know when you're in a feeding situation, ask because once you pack it away, the only way you'll know is when you open it up, um, you know, in the in the wintertime or in the spring. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ryan. And, and yeah, we're seeing some of that too. So we got a little bit of fusarium, which isn't too much of an issue out there. Um, I have some guys that are pulling some husks back and seeing some white fluffy stuff that they're saying, oh, look, it's diplodia. But the problem is it's on the top of the ear, which uh, typically would be more that gibberella. And that would be more that, you know, concern. 
And you're exactly right. One of the things I tell guys all the time is if you have a concern, you know, maybe take a fresh sample, but remember when you're getting back into that to make sure you test getting into it because anytime you have any of those mycotoxins, you know, dilution is the solution. Try to find other feeds that you can go ahead and blend along with that so that you don't have a high enough concentration that becomes a uh, animal performance issue. So which, uh, which ear molds should our growers, our silage growers be concerned about? That would have the mycotoxins in them. So jib is going to be the biggest one that we deal with, gibberella, uh, ear molds. And, um, you know, the, everybody talks about looking for pink with gibberella, and that's correct. You know, gibberella will eventually turn that pink. The thing to really pay attention to is that if, if you have that white, fluffy, cottony on the top of your ear, uh, that's likely early stages of gibberella. Um, you know, diplodia is going to typically be at the base of that ear, so we don't see it start on the top. We can see it progress to the top, but normally you have a really trashy looking ear by the time diplodia is up on the top. Um, so a lot of times there, there's a lot of, uh, I would say, feelings at least out there that whenever we see, see those very starting uh, levels of gibberella that we probably don't have a mycotoxin issue. Um, but it's definitely something as I'm out looking and trying to stage crop, if you start seeing that, I'm sure we'll get into this as we go on. It just makes for one of the many checklists of, okay, guys, timely harvest. Let's get to this as soon as possible because nothing ever gets better the longer you let a crop in the field. It's a very good point to bring up. No, you're right. Once that uh, corn gets to black layer, um, the only thing you can do is, is go down from there. So very good point. So if you have jib out there, um, definitely make sure you're harvesting that that silage early as, as you can to get out there and uh, make sure you don't have those mycotoxins in your in your feed. So Ryan, how is the harvest? How would you classify it as far as um, you know yield and progress in comparison to years past? Because I think Jonathan hit you know on the silage point of it, um, but. The southern part of my territory is always the first to plant corn, so therefore we're always the first to harvest. And I probably talked to maybe, maybe let's say 15 growers this week, and I don't think I've really found one that's upset. They're all in a good mood, which is a great environment to be in when you work in ag, when everybody's happy. Um, so I would say corn harvest is, you know, maybe by Sunday, depending on how much rain you got the past couple of days, maybe we're at 15, 20%, you know, a fifth of the way done some of those guys that have been rolling for two or three weeks uh, but everybody's really really happy and I think with some of the conditions we saw in the midsummer um, you know whether it be some of the heats we saw or some of the, the stretches of of dry weather I think everybody is um, maybe they undershot what they thought if that's a, if that's a fair way to put it so there's more corn out there than maybe what you thought you were going to have the, the first week of August which is always good. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Jonathan, how about you? Have you started on the grain side of things yet? We are just punching into it a little bit on my southeastmost region. Um, so far, what we've been seeing is is really good. Um, you know, moistures are still up there in those mid-20s for sure, but, you know, you can't get finished without starting, and it's been a really good place to to get moving. Um, and again, yeah, I would I would agree with Ryan across the whole spectrum. It seems like in general, guys are really happy with what they're getting. I wanted to ask with silage, um, are there, of course, things change year to year, but are there any hybrids that are sticking out to you this year uh, with silage plots or just um, hybrids in general with growers you're working with that are coming off and looking great? 
you know, so, so when I, when I think about, you know, what I pay attention to a lot is our PKP plots. So the, the newer hybrids that we're testing, uh, we do have some 1380 out in the field and that thing, 1380 and 1587, both are looking really good. Um, that's on the fuller side. Uh, you know, as we go down into some of the shorter season, there's there's a new 107 day 732 that's just really impressing me, uh, coming off really healthy, really clean. Um, so yeah, there's definitely there's some that are sticking out really well. I think we're gonna, you know, we're gonna learn a lot this year. Is what I keep on telling guys. We're just now getting to the place where, at least from our PKP sets, we're getting all of our nutritional data back, and that's where we really start to figure out. You know, we can we can high five and. Uh, hoot and holler all we want on wet tons, but whenever we finally get the moistures back in and digestibilities and starch levels is when we really start to figure out, you know, as we set up our producers for next year with, with their seed orders and stuff, what are going to be the key ones. But a lot of our standbys, um, you know, even 843, 1089, all those are coming off really strong this year. Awesome. Yeah, we just did a silage plot here in my territory, I guess, earlier this week, and it was looking great and 732 like you said was looking really good so but like again like you said we'll wait and see what we get back um, after it's all sent in one thing i've been excited to see this year is the transition i feel like our you know silage or, or dual purpose lineup has really shifted like full gear into the chrome lineup um, and you know we're still always going to have some amxt products that you know hang out there and, and do really really well but I'm looking at, you know, like the 1380Qs, the 0732Qs, the 0947s, 0924s, and I'm looking at those, and you can see the jump that, you know, that maybe we talked about for two or three years. We can finally, finally see it, so. Heck yeah. Chris and I even have our Chrome sunglasses on because the future's too bright with Chrome, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but no, you're right. It's looking awesome. Um Kevin Fry, our agronomist for our area, was saying that too. With everything we have coming down the pipeline with Chrome, it's it's looking looking great. One of these years, we're going to get Chris to do another silage plot. He probably hasn't done one in three or four years, and that's the most fun he's ever had. But he won't do any more of them. I don't even know what a cow looks like. <laughs> you don't have those in Delaware. I know. I think they have a couple right at like you know the homemade ice cream places. You know, but but that's about it. That's the only cows we have around here. I have to get you up my way and introduce you to a couple. There might be one or two around my territory. <laughs> Good stuff. So, um, I, all right. So let's go back to the grain side since I don't have any cows around here. Um, Ryan, since you're farther along into it, are you seeing any CRM differences? Are you seeing, you know, um, any differences out there as we're going to yield or any consistencies? I think that this is a year where we've kind of um, come back to normal when, when you talk about just strictly CRM performance. Um, so we'll have years where maybe we, we get a lot of solar radiation late in the summer, we get rain and the 115 in later days are the ones that succeed. I think this year so far in performance, we fell back into that like 109 to 113 range. The, that tends to be the CRM and obviously you have to take in planning date and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that seems to be the CRM that's really, really having a great year um, when you look across the board and kind of take the genetic platform out of it. But what I will say is, um, you know, there's a lot of corn being shelled right now that if you just looked at it, you might think it's 28%, but it's actually probably 22%. So the plants are hanging on as far as foliage really wise. And I think there's a lot of 
growers maybe looking at corn and not really knowing the moisture and thinking maybe they can let it go a week. But if you actually go in there and take some of the moisture is drier than what it is, which is great. You know, we talk about plant health all the time and keep the plant alive as long as you possibly can. Um, but to contradict that, a lot of those same fields where the foliage is really alive, you go and pinch some of the stalks or kick some of the stalks, they're not the greatest. Um, which if you think about, you know, having a good yielding year, that corn plant is going to throw everything it can into the ear to make kernels. And a lot of times the first place it pulls it from is the bottom of the stalk and it'll just work its way up to the ear. So, um, I guess my biggest thing is know maybe, you know, maybe know your hybrids, know your previous crop, know your disease susceptibility, and don't necessarily think that it's not time to harvest based on calendar date right now. So that's a really good point. I don't want to get on my soapbox about it, but the key, like you said, when we get that, our objective is to keep that plant as healthy as we possibly can. You know, that's why we throw the insecticides and the fungicides and everything out there. So, but when that kernel black layers, it cuts itself off from that rest of that plant. So even if that plant is still green, that kernel is in the drying down process. So it definitely is um, key to make sure that you're not looking at that stalk, but you're looking at the ear to figure out whether or not you want to harvest it. And the great part about that with corn is that that stalk doesn't have to go through your combine. It shouldn't go through your combine. That stalk should be taken straight down and just the ear go into your combine. So you don't have to worry about if that stalk is green, you don't have to worry about that part going through your combine. Um, so Definitely looking at the ear, not the stalk, when you try to figure out whether or not that, that field is uh, ready for harvest. But then, okay, I, I shouldn't say don't look at the stalk. You need to look at the stalk to make sure that it doesn't have any diseases and it's going to stand up for a while as well. But don't look at how green it is um, as you're doing that. So those are really good points. Jonathan, what are you seeing in those uh, first couple when you're nosing in to some of those earlier hybrids? Um, I know you've talked about that 107 day standing out for you on the silage side. What's standing out for you on the grain side so far? So there's a lot of, a lot of really good looking stuff on the grain side. I mean, we've got, we've got a very big 109 day set, but there's also a good reason for that. When I look at some of these things like 924 standing out, um, I think 995 is going to be an interesting one to watch across all the different yield environments we have, uh, you know. 1136 is one that um, I've got some areas that looks really good. Again, just trying to figure out that was one that I would say I felt like maybe planting date was having a little bit more of a play on. Uh, but no, there's there's a tremendous amount of exciting hybrids out there. The stuff that we've nosed into is a lot of shorter season stuff. Still 0075 is just, you know, killing it. It's, it's just a tremendous hybrid in that uh, early maturity for us. Um, and again, just to echo what you're saying, very much the same thing is, you know, we've got a lot of hybrids that are carrying a lot of plant health and, you know, we're getting some pretty dry grain hanging on some really nice green stalks, which I'm the same way. It's a really good thing in my mind, but, uh, it gets us to where we want to make sure that we're out there walking fields, figuring out exactly where that moisture is so that we can get a timely harvest instead of just you know, finding out down the road that uh, we could have been in this a long time ago, maybe something's starting to happen. Yeah, good points. Are you guys seeing anything? We always say, we, or I, I say, I don't want corn to ever have a bad day. So there were some fields this spring that had some bad days in there. 
Are you seeing any of those early season problems come back up and correlate to yield or, or seeing them in the late season, guys? One thing that I noticed throughout the summer, um, and this happened for a variety of different reasons, but we had a lot of areas um, that had maybe uneven pollination or uneven silk and tassel emergence. So you would kind of look across fields and you might see, you know, like 70% of the field be full tassel and then the other one, you know, the other 30% maybe a day or two behind it. Um, and I think in certain areas, especially um, like in Pennsylvania, they planted and it was really dry and then corn didn't emerge great. The areas that had moisture tended to emerge faster. We also battled slugs in certain areas this year, which, um, you know, you go out and you do a stand count at V3 and all of your plants are there, but you look at maybe some of the plants that are a little bit further behind. Once that clock kind of starts on a corn's life cycle, there's no way for plants to catch up. I always like to hear people say, oh, my replant corn caught up to my other corn. Well, it, it, it might be the same height, but it never really actually caught up to it. So I think um, if you see, you know, if you walk through a field and you see corn plants with maybe different ear types or ear sizes and also um, ears on different nodes of the plant, you can almost track that back to the emergent stage of the corn and then also think back to maybe what issues were you battling in the spring? Was it slugs? Um, we didn't have a whole lot of heavy downpours in the spring. Well, was it dry weather? Did I have, you know, crusting, that kind of stuff? Um, and I think you might start to see that as you get into more corn here this fall. Good point. Yeah, for me, no good. I was going to say, for me, I think a lot of it comes back to we just had some really dry spells. Um, the fortunate part about our drought was uh, a lot of the excessive drought happened when we also had some really cool nighttime temperatures. Um, and that really kind of helped that plant hold on and seems to have pollinated pretty well, really, across the most. Um, I'm hearing a, a few reports of guys getting into fields where there's some pollination issues and stuff. But, um, you know, we might we might not mention the uh, brand that they're finding that in as well. But anyway, so on our stuff, I think it's holding up pretty well. Um, the one thing that I am seeing uh, that comes from it may come from a little bit of an elongated pollination through that stress, as well as a little bit of dry during grain fill, just some tip back. I'm um, seeing a fair amount of tipping on some hybrids. And that is also, we, we started this whole thing off talking about the difference of genetics. So some of that is just genetic. Um, I had to say the one thing that I feel like has cost us yield in, in my territory it's just probably the amount of heat that we had during grain fill. And I think that's one of our problems that we have. And, and Chris and Ryan, you guys deal with this as well. We push these hybrids so fast through grain fill a lot of times. I mean, when we have these high daily temps and high overnight temps, they just never shut down, never slow down. And, and I really think some of that is also what, you know, we're, we're crunching that grain fill period into a very condensed area. And especially some of these hybrids, that's when we start to not have quite enough resources during that type time period to fill that tip the entire way out and some things along those lines. Jonathan, what about any nitrogen deficiency? I feel like I've seen more nitrogen deficiency with growers and in fields where I would never anticipate there being a lack of nitrogen and not, not just the bottom of the plant, but I'm talking ear leaf and up sometimes. Um, uh, yeah. So in my territory, we haven't had a tremendous amount of, of that. I, I have seen some of that, but I would say it's probably more expected where I'm seeing it. So as I dig into the guys, um, 
they're in some areas where the rain just never shut off and they've just tipped out over top of what their yield goal or expectation ever was. So it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's interesting. So um, interesting observation between the two of us because there's definitely some soil type differences and, and uh, things as well there. I don't know that that may be having some some to do with it. Uh, there was also a couple of those earlier rains where boy the eastern part just got pummeled with a lot of rain that you know we maybe only got a couple of tenths to an inch at the most where you guys were you know maybe measuring in five gallon buckets instead of uh your typical pioneer rain gauge one thing that i'm thinking back now we did a lot of side dressing when it was 90 95 degrees okay. using 28 30 percent and, you know, when you have a, a custom applicator, you know, hey, did you use an inhibitor? Did you use anything to keep the volatility down? Um, just something I've kind of played around in my mind. Okay, if you go out at 11 o'clock in the afternoon, you side dress your corn using 28%, how much of that immediately goes into the atmosphere? And if you're planning, you know, if you're planning on, let's say, 200 units and you're putting out 80 in one shot and 40 of it is gone in 36 hours, um, just something maybe we don't think about all the time. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That volatilization. You're, but Ryan, I, I saw the same thing. Um, and I know we have sandier soils here, here, but I saw it with guys that, you know, put anywhere from 275 to 300 pounds of N out there. And they do it with four different trips across the field. So it's not like it's the guy that's throwing it out there in the beginning of the year and just letting, hoping and praying it's still there when the corn actually needs it. Um, no, it's the guys that are spoon feeding it out there. And we still saw some issues with nitrogen deficiency with that upside down V on, on the, on the leaves and going up to the ear leaves. So I saw it on a lot more acres than I expected to. And I think you're right. I think it's a combination of both the fact that maybe some of it was volatile and leached, but yet it also was because I don't even think I realized how high our yields were going to be this year on those top end, you know, acres that are really pushing for it. They all surprised me. Um, so I want to put you guys on the spot a little bit. Let's compare ourselves to last year. We'll start with you, Jonathan. Jonathan, tell me, are your grain yields going to be better than last year, same or, or less, and your thoughts around that? Yeah, talk about on the spot. So uh, if I had to say across my whole district, I think our average would be above. Um, we had some spots that were stressed this year, but last year we probably had way more acres that were actually in a really stressful position. Um, I think my, some of my, you know, Lancaster, Chester County stuff, it's going to be really close to slightly above, whereas you move, uh, you move west of there. And I think we're going to have a lot of places that are, that are much above, especially as you move kind of northwest of that position. Um, there's just a, there's a small area that's going to be right where it was to a little bit below. But yeah, I'm, I'm thinking we've got a pretty good crop standing out there. Um, just time to get it in the bin. Awesome. Ryan, what are your thoughts? I feel like that's an unfair question considering I cover five states and you want me to lump them all in into one. Um, that's what I normally do. I give you unfair that questions. That sounds like an agronomist. It depends. <laughs> yeah, hey? It depends yeah. answer. Don't give me the typical agronomist. It depends answer. All right, I'll answer the question like this. We've already done a couple of NCGA checks and I've seen numbers that we never saw last year at all. You know, and we've, made, we've done less than six NCGA checks with growers 
And there's already some numbers out there that are beating last year's however, 30, 35 checks, whatever we saw here. So that's how I'll answer that question. It depends. Yeah. No, that typically depends answer. Our growers love that. The, no, I, I, I think that's awesome. I'm excited for all of our growers to be able to get out there and, and get it. Uh, I was like you guys worried about, you know, some of that time we had there in July where we didn't have any rain. And then um, we were, we were looking at stuff and didn't have some sunlight sometimes when we wanted it this year, but um, drastically better in my territory uh, than it was last year. That's for sure. And uh, even, even the dry land is, is, was really good. So we're excited for it. We wanted to talk a little bit about beans, but I think we're running up against our time here. So we'll have to talk about beans on another podcast, but um, beans still have a ways to go too, right? In order to get, be able to get that yield. A, a lot of that yield comes from that size of that bean. And I still think we're in the process of developing that, that size of that bean that's in there. So I wanted to thank you all for joining us today on the Pioneer Northeast Agronomy podcast. If you have any questions regarding the harvest, please contact your local Pioneer rep. And be sure to follow Ryan on Twitter at rpermelia, that's R-P-E-R-M-E-L-I-A. And hope you enjoyed our conversation this week. And don't forget to search Pioneer Agronomy Northeast on your podcast app for more insights and solutions fueled by forward-thinking farming. And remember to hit that subscribe button while you're there. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.